1: live from the bunker in the heart of the ozarks two men disagree on something and somehow stay friends it's Sif pop welcome to a special edition of SIF pop uh just aaron hanging out here with you although you'll hear a conversation with me and jeremy scott uh who's the voice of cinema sins Coming up here shortly, I won't keep you too long, but I did want to say I've been wanting to have this conversation for a long time, and I'm glad to be able to throw it in the podcast feed and let you listen to it because I love it when Jeremy and I talk movies in general. We've been good friends for a long time. We love chatting about movies and stuff, but I love it specifically when we kind of have a different take on something, and this is one of those cases, so... We connected actually on Easter Sunday, which I thought was appropriate. I don't mention it in the conversation, but the idea of resurrection, and we're talking about resurrecting movies. In fact, that's what I titled this. You know, my perspective being that there's hope in resurrection. Maybe it'll be something good. Maybe it'll be something amazing. And his idea is that it's regurgitation. So wherever you stand on this, whether it's resurrection or regurgitation or some combination of the two, which is probably correct, uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation. We had a great time chatting, and I hope you
2: have a great time listening. We did it! Well, I saw something move, but I'm not hearing you yet. Let me check. You don't don't hear me? Hello? Here's to the ones who dream... Are you just sitting over there singing La La Land the whole time, or were you actually talking back to me? Yes, I
1: I didn't know what else to do. I wanted to make sure you could hear something. (laughs) Hey, how are you? I'm good, man. Let me uh, adjust your levels here on this side. What's up now? Am I still peaking? No, you are no longer peeking. Sounds beautiful. i my peak.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How you been, man? I'm good, man. you see the Predators game last night? How could I not be good? Yeah, you bet you're through the roof. I'm pretty elated. Like, uh... Did not expect to win that game, much less absolutely dominate it. So. Yeah.
1: No, that's fun And stuff. we're going
2: to game four. So Are you? That'll be awesome. Yeah, man. We uh, we rented out a suite, and we invited some friends and employees and whatnot, and we're going to blow it out.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Uh, this has been a long time coming, my friend. Uh,
2: thank you for making some time. I think time. we only traded like... 50 emails to try to make this happen. I was
1: looking at the number. I think it's actually 54. Yeah, 54 emails. Yeah. Back and forth. That's a lot. Uh, <laughs> I'm a very difficult person to work with. No, it's both of us, right? Like, there was that one day where we both were waiting on each other and thought, yeah. like, what was going on? <laughs> Like, we had the time set up. We're both sitting there. Uh, I'm just working on other stuff, waiting for you to show up on the thing. And, you know, you're doing whatever and thinking that I've kind of fallen off the planet. So... It just happens.
2: I waited like 45 minutes, and I was like, all right, I'm tearing this microphone down. He's, <laughs> he's, something happened. Something came up, and we're both just sitting there waiting on each other. Um,
1: I am excited for this conversation. I guess we'll just get into it, and then I'll just edit sure. through this stuff for you know putting it up on the podcast or whatever, if you don't mind. But sure. I, I have been wanting to have this conversation with you for... I think over a year, I think what really piqued my interest was a tweet you did when it was either they announced the Beauty and the Beast remake, or it was, I think it was the trailer. I think the trailer for Beauty and the Beast came out, and it was, I guess there was shot for shot stuff in the trailer, and so you went on a little Twitter rampage about it not being necessary, and I tweeted something back about, you know, what movie is necessary, and you were like, don't start with me, Aaron, and ever since... Ever since then, I've been like, okay, but when can we start? You know, when do I get to start? When do we get to talk about this thing? So I'm excited for wherever this conversation ends up going.
2: Yeah, especially if you're going to land on the side of, you know, things like that Beauty and the Beast remake (laughs) being necessary. And of course, that movie made a bazillion dollars, and they're not going to stop doing that. But even my wife, my wife adores Beauty and the Beast, and... When this trailer came out for this, she was very excited, and she went to see it and came home and was like, "Yeah, it just reminded me of how good the cartoon is. It's uh, it's not special enough to really have been made." So yeah, you know, I haven't seen it, so I can't really speak specifically to that movie. But yeah, you know, these Disney live-action remakes of all their animated films is is one of many ways this kind of remake itis is killing me because we've seen all these stories, and for the most part, they're not going to change them enough to really make it something new. Well, you don't have to worry about the
1: necessary thing. I think we agree that they're not necessary. Uh, It would be hard to argue that any movie really is quote-unquote necessary. Um, Schindler's List. (laughs) Okay, you win. Schindler's List is necessary. (laughs) You you found one. There's probably a handful. Um, But uh, the other thing that kind of set it off, kind of set this actual recording in motion, was the Matrix announcement, which has shifted a little bit since it was announced. Um, yeah. But the idea that they were remaking The Matrix, which now seems like it's going to be more of kind of an expanded universe kind of idea, um, that yeah. kind of thing. But that's kind of why we landed at actually having this conversation, because it just keeps happening over and over and over again. Hollywood going back to, you know, the well, whether it be a, you know, a sequel, a remake, a reboot, expanded universe. You know, the idea that uh, original IP is not the first thing on Hollywood's mind. The first thing on their mind is making dollars off of stuff they already know is successful.
2: Well, right. The people who are making the green-lighting-a-movie just decisions, th- these people are not creatives. They're business people. They're right. accountants. They're people beholden to shareholders. And when you see something like Fate of the Furious come out, which is maybe the very definition of an unnecessary movie, and it, I just read today, it's on track to be the biggest global opening for any movie ever. Yeah, it's so, huge. how do you blame that studio exec, then, for green-lighting that picture Um, you almost can't from a logic standpoint. As long as we as an audience are going to flock to the things that are not original, why bother putting in the extra effort to create something original? Um, The Matrix is a really good one to talk about this issue on because the announcement originally did sound like a remake, and that was something I was vehemently opposed to. Uh, Of course, this is also my favorite movie of all time. Um, But now that it's come out and even the writer of the film has said, you know, most of what you just said, but basically, you know, we're not remaking anything. We're just kind of going back to this world. That, that actually is an idea I like um, because I think the Matrix universe is something that is rich with potential uh, in a way that something like Fast and Furious universe is not. Um, there are more stories to tell here. Like, I've pitched my own young Morpheus idea months ago, and that sounds like the direction they're going because uh, they're talking to Michael B. Jordan, and, you know... It's it's just a subtle little change, but one makes me angry and one makes me excited.
1: <laughs> Do you think that's a matter of taste in some regard? I, I mean, the comparison to Fast and Furious. Like if somebody loves that universe and they love those characters, uh, could that just be a matter of taste? You know, one being, uh, you know, quote unquote, ex, you know, exciting or good and the
2: other not. Well, I think the the general movie going audience has, has shifted towards seeking spectacle and That's why we see these Fast and Furious movies get bigger and louder every time. And the Transformers movies do the same thing. And to many people, going to the theater and seeing a bunch of explosions and car stunts is a very fulfilling experience. And they're entertained. And it's just that I typically want more out of a movie than that. I'm not trying to put down people who like Fast and Furious, but I want characters I can connect to. I want story arcs. I want character arcs where people are actually forced to change something about themselves by the end. Um, and so maybe my tastes are just different than the general public's right now, and, and that's why we're sitting where we are. But if you go back and show me a young Morpheus who is the opposite of a believer in the One, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. Maybe even is Valak Scully from X-Files. He's right. He's a skeptic. And then show me the arc... That takes him to the prophet Morpheus we know in the Matrix movie. I think that would be a very fulfilling journey to see, um, and gives us a lot of ways to play around in this universe. We know from the sequels that this loop of the one has happened five or six times at least. Um, and so there are various ways to tweak it and, you know, just give us some more time in that world. The Animatrix, did you ever see that? Oh, yeah. Um, Oh yeah, I, I've yeah, actually that, gone.
1: I've actually gone back and watched the Animatrix movies more than I have watched two and three. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, really too. enjoy those those little bits and, and pieces that they and did. I think with that they stuff.
2: show how much potential there is here in this universe. Um, you know, did, get different directors to give it a different tone. I don't know. I, I just I'm much more excited about a story that goes back in time in that universe than I would be in telling me another story of Neo and the Wand or just recasting or shot for shot remaking it. That would be terrible. I think it has a lot to do with,
1: and I'm a huge proponent of of this, and by the way, as as I expected, we'll probably be on common ground much more than we're on opposite ground on a lot of this stuff, but uh, I think it has a lot to do with wanting something new, right? Or wanting wanting yes. a surprise because you can't be surprised yes. by something old. You can be surprised by something new. So you know it's the same reason I don't go see trailers. It's the same reason I try to go into movies as pure as possible because I want to be surprised. I want to be told a story I don't know. And so when you're remaking yeah. something. You're being literally told a story you already know. So, you know, there's, yeah, there's you something Yeah, you know there. how
2: this live-action Beauty and the Beast is going to go before you sit down. And I don't care what they changed or what right. songs they added. There's nothing new there from a story or character perspective. And, you know... I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head. Is that is that I personally, and I don't know how many of us are out there, but I do want something new. I want to be surprised. That's why movies like Pulp Fiction or The Raid Two stand out to me so much, is because I'd never seen anything like that. Um, and you know, I always come back to that Seinfeld episode where the dentist converts to Judaism for the jokes. And Jerry's all offended and goes to goes to confession and he's trying to tattle on this guy. And the guy's like, "Does this offend you as a Jewish person?" He's like, "No, it offends me as a comedian um, <laughs> because I view myself as a creative person. I have ideas. I write some of them down. I've written a book. I've written songs and poems, and I have movie ideas all the time. And it's just very depressing to to be that kind of person yeah. and see the same thing month in and month out, year in and year out. And and just I feel like." creativity is dying. I think I even made a video once about, you know, the whole copy of a copy of a copy thing, and that we're basically training our current crop of young writers to adapt and remake other movies instead of focusing on breaking new ground. And what happens in 10, 20 years from now? Do do those people, do we even have writers who are able to be creative if they just kind of been beaten into remake submission? I, I don't know.
1: I think and this is a this is one of the places I think we'll diverge a little bit because I think you see a world where remake culture is destroying originality and i 'm just not sure I see that world um i well, f- I feel like there's still a lot of original stuff that happens, and I feel like a lot of the stuff that gets honored and even some of the stuff that makes a lot of money can be original stuff um it's just you know and in some ways it's the money that studios make from you know, these remakes that allows them to take a risk on something that might be original.
2: But they don't take the risk on the original anymore, not financially. Uh, and that's why it's harder and harder to see movies like Michael Clayton get made that are, uh, you know, drama. Chris is always saying on our podcast, uh, adult dramas like mm-hmm. the Untouchables. They don't make a lot of these movies anymore because their budget is too demanding, whether it's for cast or what have you. And they're going to throw all that budget, 95% of it, at the stuff they have data to prove we'll hit. They're going to they're going to throw all that money at Fast 9 instead of what could probably be five unique original ideas. And mm. I I what I see is it's eating up resources that could go to originality. Yes, there are original things being made. You know, we got Denis Villeneuve, we've got Damien Chazelle, we've we've got great young talented filmmakers who are being very creative. You were singing La La Land when I hopped on this thing earlier today. So (laughs) uh, it's not as though that doesn't exist, but I don't think that in itself is proof that we're not taking away from original ideas because I I just view every dollar that goes toward a loud action extravaganza like Transformers or Remake is a dollar that didn't go to some talented young filmmaker like Damien Giselle. How many of them are out there that we don't know about because they get put on – Transformers 5 or, you know, they get the writer's room together and come up with 14 stories for Transformers because they can. But what could all of those writers have written in that six months that was original?
1: I'm just not sure because you're, you're talking about dollars being spent, but they're not just dollars that are going into the universe and not coming back. In fact, they are dollars that are reproducing themselves for these studios. So, you, you know, we've already mentioned the absolute, you know, oodles and oodles of money that Beauty and the Beast is making and Fast 8 is making –
2: you know, those but are do, do you think Disney's gonna funnel that money? They're gonna funnel that money that they make off Beauty and the Beast into three more live action remakes. They're not gonna funnel it into something like Tomorrowland because A, that that didn't work very well for them. And <laughs> it was expensive and they lost money. Um, cause it wasn't as good. Whereas they can turn around to Pixar and say, make us Toy Story 4 and we'll take that billion and turn it into Lion King live action 2. But they also turn it into, you know,
1: Pixar's original films, you know, is coming out or whatever. And I know very little about it because I, you know, stay as pure as possible. But I mean, it's an original film. So I, I just feel like there's, there's an argument to be made that if it weren't for them just playing, you know, marketplace dynamics, that they wouldn't have the ability to even give us the original content that they lose money on, by the way, often. Sure, um, sure. You know, this is the, the, they wouldn't be able to give it to us. That's the problem.
2: Yeah, because they have to have – they have to be profitable. They have shareholders. And if they made all 100% creative original ideas, the American public is just too dumb and we're, <laughs> we're not going to go to all of those. And we're going to be waiting for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 because – and again, I, I often put the blame for this on, on moms of teenagers because having worked at the theater for 12-some years, I can't tell you how many times. Just carloads of kids get dropped off. They didn't didn't want to go see a movie. Mom just needed them to get out of her hair for two hours. Well, what are we going to go see? We're 13. We're stupid. Let's go see Fast 9. I mean, it's just that it's got to be a balance. And without, I don't think we can have either without the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Without a Fast and Furious, we can't have a La La Land. Without a La La Land, well, I guess we probably could have a Fast (laughs) and Furious. (laughs) (laughs) It is kind of amazing sometimes to think about how much original creative stuff we do get, you know, like Arrival was one of my favorite movies of last year. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't probably cheap to make. And, you know, it's this brainy <laughs> it's a movie about linguistics. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's kind of a minor miracle that something like that can get made with major stars. Um, so yeah, I don't want to make it sound like nothing original or nothing quality is ever getting through anymore. It's just, you know, I feel I feel about I think about the, the people who are in college now, and you remember me in college. And I was I writing do. screenplays with Josh, and I wanted to be a filmmaker or a film reviewer or something. And you know, I never, I never got there yet, and that's fine. Uh, my life has taken many turns, but how many of those kids are out there right now that want to go into filmmaking? Maybe they even have a killer idea, but they can't get in the door because. The industry as a whole is kind of – because, I mean, let's – yes, remakes and sequels have been a problem for 30, 40 years, but let's not pretend like it's not the worst it's ever been because it is. <laughs> um, and and I, it makes me feel like there are creative people who will never get a shot um, because they they don't play by the rules enough, right? Like, I don't – if somebody at Hollywood said, okay, I will let you write a screenplay that's original, but first you have to write Transformers 8 for me, I wouldn't do it. I don't think I would, like – my soul would not be in that transformers 8.
1: <laughs> it reminds me of, you know, we've been mentioning La La Land uh, quite a bit, but it reminds me of uh isn't this how it works? You know, I do two for you and one for me and he's like all, you know, all for me, none for you and yeah. it's like all for but it's my idea, right? And that's kind of what, you know, the the it reminds me of in many ways is uh if if we end up getting to a place where the movie studios are JK Simmons and they're like no, 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 all for us, none for you. That's where we have a problem. I just don't I just don't see that happening. And I think a lot of that has to do with the prestige not the movie, but in general the idea of prestige movies and awards and those kind of things that I think original IP will always have a you know, a leg up on you know, repurposed content uh, for those kind of things. So I think studios know that's important to the artists.
2: Well, and I even think that's kind of hollow. Like, I think for the most part, they only do that so they can turn around and brag that they had an Academy Award winning film and then put it on the trailer for their next film from the studio that brought you best picture, yada, yada. Like, I, I don't think they greenlight much art Unless unless they have a motivation for it, if that <laughs> makes sense. Um, you know, most of the experimenting is being done on a on an independent basis. For something like Snowpiercer, that that is a Hollywood production in, in the truest sense, except for where the money came from. Um, and and that's I think the outlets where we're seeing the creativity seep towards. And you know, we just did our podcast. I guess it's for tomorrow, where we go through the whole summer of 2017 and just preview the whole summer, and it's just miserable. Have you looked at this summer? It's miserable. I have, yeah. like there's almost nothing to be excited about. War of the Planet of the Apes is the biggest one I'm excited about. But we just have this mummy from Tom Cruise, looks like a big giant noise machine. What about what about Dunkirk? You're not excited about Dunkirk? Dunk yeah, Dunkirk was the only other one that oh, okay. we were like, Oh yeah, that sounds good. But you know, we're I'm kind of a little nervous about Spider Man. Yeah. Uh, I'm not real sure on Guardians Two if we're gonna get a little too much Marvel in there, I don't know. And and there's just fast eight. I just, just very little to get excited about. And I remember a time—I know you do too—when the big summer action films were still at least fifty percent original, like when Jurassic Park came out and Twister came out. And, mm-hmm. I mean, Independence Day when it came out. And it just feels like the at least the summer season has squeezed out all the creativity into the awards season, and the summer season is just bombast.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right about the independent. Uh, movement being kind of the savior in this whole thing, and what's nice about that is technology has made it so that the independent movement can be stronger than ever. It doesn't take sure. millions of dollars to make a film. There are people making nope. films on their phones, and they're you know yep. they're great quality films. So I, I think there you know that's kind of the other part of it is I think we will always have that artistic original stuff because it actually doesn't take a lot to invest you know to make it anymore.
2: Yeah, no, and it, it, that's a good point because, and it's not just cost, um, cost of technology, cameras, editing, but it's also education. Uh, there are so many resources out there, you know, like there's a woman halfway around the world who built an entire house watching YouTube tutorials, right? Wow. So a, a filmmaker who wants to improve themselves doesn't have to go and find funding from a studio to make a movie. They can make something and go online. Okay, here's how I use this filter on this lens for this kind of shot, and here's how I use After Effects to make this effect, and um, it really has brought the the tools to the masses, and that's why you see somebody like Gareth Edwards, who, is it Gareth Edwards or Gareth Evans, who did uh, Godzilla and Rogue One? I think it's Edwards. Yeah, I think it is Edwards. Yeah, and he did a YouTube short film with some pretty fancy effects, and that put him on the map. And like the next thing I know, he was, he got a pretty small budget to make, I think this film's called Monsters. Um, and then he got Godzilla and then he got Rogue One and now he's an industry vet. And it all started because of YouTube. And so we're gonna, we're in a whole new age. And I think that's gonna mean a lot about, you know, for where creativity goes in film over the next 10, 15 years because you've, you've also got Netflix and Amazon now acting as studios, you know, producing films with millions of dollars in budgets and, Sooner or later, you know, the whole the whole system is going to be completely different looking.
1: And I think of Favreau, who, you know, directs Iron Man and makes enough money that he can turn around and invest in chef, you know, and it's just it's one of those things where an artist will always find a way to be an artist because that's in their blood. And the financiers will always find a way to turn a dollar because that's in their blood. Um, yeah. so it's, it's kind of that tug and pull, I think is always going to be where art and commerce have to exist together. And, and yeah. I, you know, it's, it's not an easy tug and pull cause they have different purposes.
2: Well, and just, I don't think anything you said reminded me of this, but I'm just thinking about Edgar Wright and Ant-Man and, you know, how frustrating that is to see somebody who has such a unique, creative, quirky vision and this, the studio system at Marvel basically beat him out of there. Like he couldn't do what he wanted to do. He couldn't make his film, ultimately. And so they found another director who would do what they wanted. And I guess that that's another area where creativity, I think, is being squashed. Because even Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon made Avengers. And and then Marvel basically crushed his soul, forcing him to do all this (laughs) stuff on the second one. He basically almost said it in interviews. Yeah, he he was Um, pretty blatant about that stuff. He's one of our brightest most talented original creators in all of entertainment. And you just, I just hate the notion that this current studio summer blockbuster, you know, MCU, everything has to have a shared universe. I think it's stifling some creativity. And I think that's sad. Let's, uh, let's play the silly game of assigning blame, which
1: is always a silly game because there's obviously a lot of factors that go into anything. Um, mm. I remember, uh, Watching, I think it's a video you did a while ago where you basically show pictures of headlines of remakes or sequels or whatever, and then yeah. some profane insult to the studios. Uh, it's on your personal channel, I think. And yeah. that that video very much to me says this is the studio's fault. You know that this is happening. So let's let's assign, and we've talked about it being the viewer's fault as well. Where would you put the highest percentage
2: of the blame for remake culture? I think it. I think the majority. It's not by a lot, but I think the majority is on the studio side because I've I've spent enough time in the music industry and known enough people who were in it pretty deeply to know that at least in my opinion a large percentage of pop music is you just you like what they tell you to like uh, because they just don't put anything on the air that they don't want to right and and so you know do we like Miley Cyrus and Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber because we really like them or because, we we hear it every 15 minutes on the pop radio station and eventually it just becomes like familiar. Um, and I think there's a certain amount of that, you know, that yes, the American public is dumb and they have an appetite for dumb, big, loud movies. But is that because they have an appetite for it or because that's all they've gotten for the last 15 years? Um, and so to a certain extent, I blame the studios a little more – but I also, I'm on record three times in this talk right now calling people stupid. So I, I do think that we have our own uh, we have our own guilt to, to bear here.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I, I guess I'm one of those stupid people too because, you know, I, I enjoy... Uh, it, here's the thing, and I guess I should say this too because I know you've made a point of saying this and I think we're on common ground here. It's not about whether or not the movie that's made is good. That's not what we're talking right. about. That's not what you're talking about. Right. The fact that the Beauty nope. and the Beast remake... Is actually, in my opinion, a fun, entertaining, you know, joyous movie. That's not the point. The point is whether or not it should have had money invested in it and it actually been a project, right? Am I, am I stating that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as we, as we look at the fact that, you know, it's, it's not about whether or not the, the film is, is actually good. It's about whether it should be made. Then of course the blame goes on the decision makers, right? So that would make sense from your perspective that the, The decision makers are the ones that are to blame for what is being made. However, uh, I think the reason I lean more towards it being our fault is because we drive the decision makers with our monetary decisions. And I don't know that I agree with you that we're stupid. I just think we enjoy certain things and we don't mind going back to them. I I like to use the metaphor of food a lot. I think uh, it can work. Uh, which is there, you know, pizza is something I can enjoy time and time and time again. And then if you want to give me a fruit pizza, I'll go, oh, that's a different version of pizza. Let me try that one. Oh, I kind of like that, too. You know, there's this thing where you like something. Let's go back to it. I don't know that that's stupidity. I just think it's, it's, you know, it's how we learn what we like and and make our decisions in
2: that regard. You know what I mean? Well, okay, but what about... And I don't know what this percentage is, but what about the percentage of moviegoers, film lovers, who just go to the movies every week or every month? They still have only the options in front of them. And so to say the audience chose Fast 8 is a little disingenuous because Fast Eight was probably on five of the screens at every ten screen in America. You had minimized choices here. If you're one of those, if you're one of those moms dropping off a van load of kids, right? You didn't choose to go leave the house to watch this specific movie. You just you would go one like, of the movies. And so I don't know that we can say because X movie makes X millions of dollars, it means the audience wants that. Uh, it may just mean they didn't have better options.
1: I, yeah, I can see that. You do touch, touch on another area of the blame, which is our need as a mass media culture to have something to talk about. And the best thing yep. to talk about is the one we think everybody else is going to be talking about. You and I factor into that with doing podcasts or reviews or those kind of things. The yep. first, The first movie review I got out this weekend was Fast 8. Why? It's the one yep. most people are talking about.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's why you go, you typically go on Thursday night to see an opening film so that you can get your opinion out there on Friday, because we're such an immediate culture now. Right. Like, within two weeks, people won't be talking about Fast 8, they'll be talking about Guardians too. but for right this weekend, that's all anyone's talking about, but that's why all those, every single popular YouTube reviewer, puts their review out either before the movies come out because they saw a screening or they put it out on friday um because it's just it's a flash and then it's gone um so again i don't even know if this being the highest grossing opening of all time even means anything it might just mean like you said people wanted to be in the conversation
1: yeah and so all of those things together i think do make it difficult sometimes to really parse uh you know decision making from the studios what they're trying to do what their purposes are and at the end of the day they have an easy black and white out. It's a bottom line. If a movie makes a lot of money right. for them, well, obviously that was a good decision. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, now, for us, that's different because even, you know there are plenty of movies that are awful that make oodles of
2: money. So, it you know the the purposes well, look at, are across there. Look at Warners in the DCU and Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad. They, are, uh, they were terrible. Everybody hated them. The reviews were bad, but they still made money as though they were hits. They And so there's no reason to stop. <laughs> no reason not to keep going with Justice League and Wonder Woman, because even if they're terrible, we're making bank, baby. Yeah, it's it's hard to convince somebody
1: who puts a dollar in and gets $5 out that they're
2: making a bad decision, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's why I said in the outset, I'd, I don't blame the studios or the but you do. producers, whoever... I, well, I mean, I don't blame them for making a decision that's based on finances. Okay. It just hurts my soul as a creative person to see it happening, and I wish it would change. So, if I were in their place, I would make the same decision because my job depends on it. Right. Is there a you way... You get fired if you don't make money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, is there a way to change it? Is there... You know, how does this change? Uh, at what level do we just have to continue to be an educated audience and stop going to see... like? Uh, is there a day where people actually don't go and see Wonder Woman because it's a you
2: know DC property and they don't trust it anymore? Or how how does it change? It's never going to change the way I want it to. There's always going to be big, dumb, uncreative sequels and remakes, always. I would like to see the percentage come down. And I think the way that that happens is for more films like Snowpiercer, that's really my best model because he basically went and got all private money and then hired – regular Hollywood crew and actors and had complete control himself to make this bonkers idea. Could you imagine being a studio head hearing a pitch for this movie? You'd be like, no way. (laughs) Um, But it's an awesome, fun thrill ride and we wouldn't have seen it if it had been part of the traditional system. And so I think the more we see that kind of thing happening... Uh, the more the studios will take notice and say, we should put X aside every year for some bonkers creative original idea because they're doing it. You see somebody like A24 as a production company that's almost Pixar levels of home runs at this point in terms of the films that they've put out, um, both in terms of reviews and making money. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that kind of thing will push the studios, but it has to be accompanied by some drop-off. And this is where it gets interesting because I do think American audiences are probably tiring of Fast and Furious, mm-hmm. and the, the new the new Pirates movie this year is going to be, I think, a real interesting case because I think Americans are going to ignore it, but it's going to make so much money in China. They'll probably make another Pirates movie. Well, yeah, it, we, we haven't even talked about
1: the international, uh, impact yeah, on the this global global of this movie. Yeah, the global audience is
2: completely unpredictable. Like, China's, you guys, I love you guys, but you got some whack taste in movies that is completely <laughs> unpredictable. And so there's no, we don't know if a movie's gonna do well in China or not until it does and we're all like, huh, so that happened. Um, and, you know, that's gonna influence American studio decisions. If it's not already, global audience is going to influence them more than domestic uh, very soon. Uh, Because, again, it's just about following the money.
1: I heard recently, and this is totally apocryphal, so it could be completely not true. Let me get that out of the the way, because I have not double-checked this or researched this. Aaron's about to lie. That's right. That's absolutely correct. Um, The characters in uh, Kong Skull Island, there were two scientists. Uh, One was an Asian woman and one was an American man. And in the U.S. version... The Asian woman is hardly in the movie, but what I heard was that the edit is totally different for the international audience, and she's the yeah. character that comes to the forefront, and he takes a step back. Uh, that That's kind of, interesting. That blows my mind, but why wouldn't you do something like that?
2: Well, I get why. I mean, well, it's kind of like Iron Man 3 did a very. They, they boosted the Chinese doctor scenes where they're helping fix Tony, Tony right. end yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Chinese edit that that wasn't in the American edit. And I, I get why, again, I get why you do that from a financial perspective standpoint, but from a creative standpoint, unless you're trying to make Clue (laughs) <laughs> I don't think different versions of your movie out there is a good thing because then you're, you're basically telling me, it's not, I don't really have a story to tell. Right. I just want to take your money and I'll tell whatever story you want to hear so I can take your money. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm going to side with the people who, who have on the page what they want to make before they ever lift a finger to make the film. Um, but again, you know, they're making a smart business decision and, you know, there's more money in the rest of the world than there is in the U.S. <laughs> and so they're going to keep going after it. And so, yeah, it probably won't ever change at least not for a really long time. Uh, I want to ask you this question because I think we have different
1: answers to it. And I I want you to know I haven't done like any – this isn't a gotcha moment, like where I've done the research and I I know the actual answer. But here's the question. Do you feel like more independent uh, original IP is being made today
2: than before or less? More, but only because there's more people on the planet. There's more – you, outlets youtube right. and right like, so and so i had somebody on twitter make this argument to me when i was bemoaning the remakes and sequels saying in 2016 there were more original films released than any year prior or something like that and i was yeah. like well yeah there were more films released than like when i was growing up et stayed in my home theater for a year right a right. year yeah and now you've got Five hundred major releases a year, and everything's hitting four thousand screens. And so, yes, because the total of everything has gone up, then I do think the amount of original IP has gone up. And but I think its percentage to the whole has gone down.
1: Yeah, and that—that that I actually agree on both of those accounts. So I guess we—we we don't disagree. Uh, I'll find something we disagree about here eventually. Um, Oh, it's not hard. We we don't have to look very hard. (laughs) Uh, But for me, and this probably is where we kind of see the world differently, um, whether it be optimism and pessimism or whatever. But I, I really feel like we are in a universe where I have the ability to see more creative, artistic, original stuff because the big dumb stuff exists and is making oodles of money. It doesn't bother me that that stuff is around or making money or doing good work because I feel like it's providing a, an industry that can give me what I want better than it could before.
2: Yeah, I just think some of those big, dumb, loud ones don't have to be remakes and sequels. I mean, <laughs> That's true. No, that's a great point. Twist. I mentioned Twister and Independence Day. Those were big, dumb, loud action movies, but they were at least original ideas that I hadn't seen before. Um, and so you know I'm more inclined <laughs> I'm, I, I trash this uh, this new Luke Besson movie, uh, Valerian and the whatever planets of tomorrow or whatever. Um, I trash it in our podcast tomorrow, but you know I'm more in favor of something like that than I am fast eight because at least that's a new thing I've never seen.
1: Yeah, you take take a big swing and sometimes you miss and that's okay like I, I totally get that yeah. I'm, I'm totally for that as well. Um, let me ask you this question. I want you to rank. In order of what you would rather see, if somebody's going to repurpose content, which of these uh, would you rather see? And go ahead and put them in order if you can. Sequels, reboots, remakes, or expanded universe. I'll give you. You can think about it a little bit, but just those four things. Give it like to me a, again. Sequels, so that's like a direct sequel that continues the story. You know, that kind of those yeah. kind of things. Reboots, where you're in the same okay. universe, but you don't have to worry about continuity. You're starting it all over again. Uh, remake, whereas where you take a an you know a movie and you just remake the movie, or expanded universe where you're telling totally different
2: stories from the same universe. Okay, so I'm I don't know what order I'm ranking them in, but I'll go worst to best. Okay, uh, reboots is at the top. Okay, the uh, best, re- the worst. No, the worst. Okay, okay, gotcha. that is the cheapest ploy. You're just you're basically just trying to not call yourself a remake, um, and you're and you're saying this property is so old that and surprises our me. Are so old, yeah. We can't we can't make it without calling it a reboot, um, and that's just dumb. Uh, remake is second on that list, and then what what were the other two sequels? Shared universe and sequel. Yeah. So it'd be sequel then shared universe. Okay. Um, so the, the best of all those options is expand the universe, like this young Morpheus idea. And I'll give you another example that I'm really happy with that I like. Uh, The Professional 2 with a grown up Natalie Portman being the assassin. Okay. Um, that is a sequel slash expanded universe, but it's not rebooting anything. It's not remaking anything. And so that's kind of where I draw the line.
1: Uh, that really, that actually really surprises me. I thought for sure remakes would be below reboots for you because you know you can consider uh like The Dark Knight a reboot. You know, it's it's taking Batman and rebooting. Okay, it.
2: but if you if you're gonna okay, that, if we're gonna define reboot in a way that encompasses The Dark Knight, then yes, I would flip flop them. I don't consider The Dark Knight a reboot, and I don't think anybody ever called Batman Begins a reboot. You don't think so? Maybe in a studio meeting? Eh, maybe no I mean, not in terms of like. News about the film coming out or somebody talking about the film behind the scenes. I think in board meetings, they might have said, let's reboot Batman. But it was just, it's been a long time. Let's make another Batman movie. Okay. We may um, we may
1: be having some a little bit of just kind of a semantic disagreement, which is fine. Yeah, so yeah. like The Amazing Spider-Man, would you consider that a yeah. reboot? Well, that one I did because
2: it came only seven years after the previous one and it was a clear cash grab. Uh, But if it had been 20 years and we just hadn't had another Spider-Man, I think they could have put out a movie called Spider-Man without calling it a reboot. And, you know, I guess, again, I'm using the term reboot maybe the way they do in terms of marketing or spin. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess, yeah, technically The Amazing Spider-Man and Batman Begins, they're all reboots in a, in a way of speaking, but I don't, I don't view them that way. Uh, one, to me, a reboot is something like where they're like, uh, I really I really want to take advantage of this proper, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's a reboot. Yes. That was, that was not, that was, oh, it makes me so mad. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I, I do hate them more because it feels like you're trying to make me think you're being creative when I know you're just grabbing cash. Ah, I, I can understand that.
1: I, I think for me remakes are if I'm you know going about this are the worst. Again, I'm the person who says bring me whatever movie you want to bring me. I'll you know take a look, and if I enjoy it, I enjoy sure. it. But um, but remakes seem the least creative to me. Uh, the stuff that Disney's doing with their you know turning stuff into live action, uh, even though I'm enjoying it and I've actually liked all of those movies so far, it seems to me the laziest of all of these. It is types well, of things.
2: it is in one regard. They even cast James Earl Jones. In this, yeah, line, King line I don't action. get that. I really don't get that. No, you're not trying to make any. It's like, it's like when you hear somebody cover a song, but it sounds exactly like the original, and you're like, what was the point? Like, yeah. if you're not going to put your own spin on it, don't cover a song. That's just dumb. That's just karaoke. Yeah. And so we've got a cinematic karaoke going on over at Disney right now.
1: <laughs> and again, I'm on the record as enjoying these films. So, you know, it's it's a weird place to be. To be like, uh, you know, uh, I liked this movie. I enjoyed going. I recommended other people go see it. And at the same time, I don't get why it was made. You know, I don't understand why the energy is being invested this way. So it's a weird kind of, you know, uh, cognitive dissonance uh, that that happens, you know, in my mind when I enjoy something that I wasn't for, you know, happening. Which you've you've talked about, the Toy Toy Story sequels being that way for you.
2: Well, yeah, and that's probably the best example for me. Two movies that I think are fantastic, but completely unnecessary. And I don't think either Toy Story 2 or 3 takes me anywhere emotionally that the first one doesn't. Um, And, you know, I know what happens is Pixar says, well, we're not going to do it until we have a story that we really like. And then over the next two, three years, I think they start to convince themselves they like a story idea more <laughs> than they really do, because they, they all know be. it'll be a huge hit. And so I'm, I'm really worried about this Incredibles sequel, because, you know, it, is it necessary? I don't know. I I, I I need to see what the story is. But like, I don't know. And I, I, I think, just think there's a lot of unnecessary crap being made.
1: Right. And I think <coughs> the, the essence of where we might disagree is in... I think you are you are vehemently wanting to change that, whereas I am just enjoying it for what it is. Does that make sense? Like I'm, you yeah, know, you know, I don't. It doesn't bother me
2: that those exist, and I think it does bother you. It does. If in fact, if I thought I'd, it had any kind of a chance, I would try and create some kind of opening weekend boycott of one of these Disney live action movies. If I thought I could somehow, and I can't, that's why I'm not doing it. But if I thought I could somehow <laughs> rally enough people to skip a movie and help it tank opening box office, uh, I think that would be awesome. It's never going to happen because uh, I don't have enough reach uh, or personality or likability. Um, but um, <laughs> that is what I would like to see. I would love to see one of these Disneys come out and everybody just goes, no, nope, done. I'm not going to watch that. And then it makes no money and they're like, oh, formula's broken. What do we do now? Maybe creative? Maybe creative? <laughs> yeah, that's an idea. Um, here's
1: here's the, and we'll, we'll kind of, close us out because we're heading up towards an hour and I don't want to keep you forever. But is there a remake or a reboot, you know, one of those lower categories for you, the stuff that, that, you know, really bothers you, that you actually do love and are glad exist? Is there even one example? I'll give
2: you a couple. Um, I have seen both versions of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Okay. Um, I think the American version is completely unnecessary, um, but I really enjoyed watching it. Um, And... If either one of those could have existed without the other, I think – like if the American one had been made first and there hadn't been a previous like Swedish one or whatever, I would think it was great. Uh, And then the same thing goes for that – let the right one in, and let me in. The American remake of that—I think those are both fantastic films. But again, the American remake is unnecessary. It's like The Office, right? Um, the American Office is great. The British Office is great. I didn't need—we didn't need to make the American Office. It didn't need to happen. We had that humor already. It existed. We just, you know, took the accents off of everybody.
1: I know what you're saying, but I actually totally disagree with you. I think the American Office, office is a totally different show than the British Office. Well, like it tone- became a totally different yes, show. Yeah.
2: The, the first season, all. There are several plot lines and tone that is very similar to the British show. And as it gained its following and Steve Carell kind of came into his own, That's exactly they it, made yeah. it something new. I agree with that. But it's still, it in total, uh, unnecessary. <laughs> I don't need to see it. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I think that for me, I, I go back to
1: even like I was looking, uh, this, the research I was doing was to see when did this whole idea of remake culture start? And a lot of people mm. put it with the the sequels really starting to take off in the late 70s, early 80s. It's kind of when sequels the became a thing. Movies. Yeah, horror movies and even, you know, Summer Fair, uh, the Jaws movies, you know, had a bunch of sequels. I yes. guess you could consider that horror Um, star Wars certainly was another example of one, you know, they, they populated with sequels and, but they were doing some research on remakes, especially And remakes have been around from the inception of movies. In fact, the great train robbery, which is often cited as the, the first narrative movie ever made, uh, was remade the very next year with the exact same plot in the exact same name. And I was like, wow, "Wow. like this is, this is not new. This has been happening. And then I started thinking about like Hitchcock. Hitchcock did the man who knew too much twice within 15 years. It's it's crazy. Well, even
2: King Kong, there's a 1930s King Kong and a 1970s King Kong. Yeah. So yeah, the idea of it is not new. And it's a very simple idea because you're just playing on nostalgia for the most part, right? Like the reason this Power Rangers movie came out. This year was because everybody who loved Power Rangers in the 90s is just the right age now to have a young family and we're Mm -hmm. trying to hit that nostalgia. And that's a a circle of life, baby. Everybody's going to keep having kids. And so your kids, whatever they're into, 10, 15 years from now, Hollywood's going to make a big budget remake of it. I guarantee. you.
1: Yeah. Uh, The question is, will our kids be into anything that was actually new to them or will they only be into stuff that was new to us 20 years ago? You know what I'm saying? Like my kids are into all the same stuff I was when I was a kid.
2: Well, and see, that's the problem, right? Is that we're going to end up with every generation being connected to the Ninja Turtles and the Power Rangers and the Transformers and that we're just going to be a cyclical recycling culture and, and i am speaking in exaggeration and hyperbole to make my point but that's that's what i fear is that we're we're starting down a path that's just going to loop us on uh, you know on a 10 15 year loop yeah and that and that is if if it does go
1: that way then uh i will will bow to you and say i'm sorry you were <laughs> right you were a prophet among men uh, but uh currently i just don't see it going that way i really feel like we have more opportunities today for new original stuff if we want it and i think the problem is we don't
2: necessarily want it well i will point out that in the last 6 to 12 months what are the, what are the what are the highest profile successes for netflix you have stranger things a show mm-hmm. that trades on 80s movie nostalgia yeah. you could almost call it a remake You have Mystery Science Theater, which is a (laughs) remake, right? And then you have all these Marvel shows, which are at at best adaptations and in some cases remakes. Um, And so, you know, I just I think there's a lot more of it out there than than we realize. And it ain't going away anytime soon. And it makes me sad. Well, Jeremy will continue to be sad
1: and I will continue to be hopeful and we will continue to argue every once in a while. And it'll be fun. (laughs) How's that sound? Sounds good to me. Well, there it is. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I hope you did, too. Thanks for taking a listen. Uh, please know Sift Pop is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network, and you can find out more about other live and later shows on the network by following the feed at Mixler.com slash Studio DNA. That's the place to listen live if you want. That's M-I-X-L-R dot com slash Studio DNA. DNA also a huge amount of thanks from our hearts to our patrons who make it possible through patreon support uh, there's a lot of people giving there monthly to make this show and others on the studio DNA network possible support starts at three dollars a month comes with some pretty fun perks you can find out more at patreon.com slash studio DNA there's lots of ways to connect with this podcast if you have any thoughts about our conversation today what we talked about any response from that you can do it in many ways Uh, you can go to soundcloud leave comments there you can tweet at us you can leave comments at itunes leave a rating while you're there if you don't mind as well or just email us feedback at sifpop.com that's also where you'll go if you have a question anything like that finally if you're having a good time and you love this podcast think in your mind right now of another movie lover who you think might like this show and then don't withhold that information from them Go let them know about it. Uh, That is how more people find the show more than any other way is because a friend says you've got to check this out. So think of somebody you know who loves movies and let them know about Sif Pop. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, We'll be back in just a couple days uh, recording live and putting in the feed uh, some thoughts on summer movies. I think we're going to do a summer movie preview uh, heading up this week on Sif Pop. So we'll see you there.